I'm not going to preach a sermon as such this morning. I am going to speak, but it's not going to be your usual sermon structure. It's going to be a bit of a lecture, a bit of Bible study, a bit of personal reflection, and maybe raise a few questions to which I don't have the final answers. Uh, This is not going to leave you with a song in your heart and a smile on your lips. Sorry. I wonder if your crest fell as you heard the gospel passage from Mark being read. Just as my crest fell when I read what the lectionary said had to be read. Divorce. Oh dear. However, the good thing about following the lectionary is that we're forced to deal with the really difficult passages. The next 12 minutes or so may be uncomfortable to listen to, just depending on where you are in your life. The next 12 minutes or so will be jolly uncomfortable to speak. When we read the Bible and try to understand it, there are four questions that we have to ask ourselves. First question is, what does the Bible say? That is, Scripture. The second question is, what did the Bible mean back in its own age and its own culture? That's using our reason. A third question is, how have Christian people understood this part of the Bible over the years? That is, tradition. And the fourth question is, What does the Bible mean for us in our age and culture? What does it mean for us today? And that's also using our reason. So there is scripture, reason and tradition. And for those who um, live their lives as Christians, um, sort of in the Anglican way, they are the three ways in which we read the Bible, think about the Bible and try to understand it for ourselves. So, for us today, what does the Bible actually say? Jesus is under attack again. And the Pharisees and the scribes have got their knives out again. They've had a couple of goes at tricking Jesus into saying something controversial for which he could be arrested. But so far, no luck. You remember that they had tried this over the matter of unwashed ceremonial hands and they had had a go over Jesus at eating a meal with Matthew's tax collector work colleagues. Now they come with their really very difficult question about divorce. It was no accident that they asked Jesus the question where he was located. Jesus had moved from Capernaum He had gone across the River Jordan and he was now in a part of the land called Perea. Perea fell into the jurisdiction of one of the King Herods and it was the King Herod who had married Herodias. It was Herodias who had divorced her husband so she could marry King Herod. It was that act of divorce of Herodias that caused John the Baptist to say she shouldn't ought to have done that. And it was that at the party that said to Herod, 
well, you dance nicely for me, Salome, and I will give you whatever you want. And um, John the Baptist's head ended up in a very strange place. So it was no accident that the question about divorce was being asked in this part of the world where divorce had been such a hot topic. The Old Testament law about divorce was there in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. It says there, When a man has married a wife and it happens that he finds that she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorce, give it to her and send her out of his house. He finds some uncleanness. What on earth is meant there? Well, for the Jews, there were two rabbis. One was called Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai was very, very strict. Rabbi, Samna, uh, Rabbi Shammai, that fella, interpreted the Old Testament law with the utmost strictness. He said, uh, some uncleanness meant adultery and adultery alone. Let a woman be as bad as bad can be in almost every way. But if there was no adultery, there could be no divorce. Rabbi Shammai said. The other school of thought belonged to Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel interpreted that crucial phrase, some uncleanness, as widely as widely could be. If a wife spoiled a dish of food, if a wife talked to a strange man, if a wife's voice could be heard by the next door neighbours, if, if a wife burnt the bread, divorce, Rabbi Hillel said. So who are we going to follow? Rabbi Shammai or Rabbi Hillel with his laxer view? Well, the Jews chose Rabbi Hillel. No surprise there. But did you note in the gospel reading who it was who could initiate divorce proceedings? It was the man. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, the Pharisees asked. There was almost no way that a woman could start divorce proceedings against her husband, no matter how violent, how drunk, how gross, how forgetful he was. Jewish society was a society of male dominance. But as we continue to see what the Bible says, we again see Jesus being the champion of women. Jesus saw the cruelty and the injustices in the divorce regulations that the Pharisees had quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 24. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, it was for your hardness of heart that Moses wrote this commandment. Now, hardness of heart was Jewish idiom, their way of speaking. In Australia, if someone says, how do I find your place? And you say, well, it's just beyond the black stump. We don't think that they will go looking for a black stump and beyond that look for our home. It just means a long way away. And so hardness of heart was a way that Jews spoke. And in this instance, Jesus interpreted this way. 
It was for your stubborn belief in male supremacy. It was for your intractable commitment to the dominance of men. It was for your blind ignorance of the roles you forced upon women. For these things, Moses wrote you this commandment, Jesus said. What Moses had given to the Jews was really a permission for divorce. But he also gave the Jews a means to control divorce. In Jesus' day, marriages were getting worse and worse. The Roman army was there in, uh, in Judea. Roman civil servants were there in Judea. And with the Roman army and Roman civil servants came the lax Roman sexual standards and the lax Roman marriage standards. And in Jesus' day, marriages were getting worse and worse. Women were being downgraded. Women were being treated with contempt, with cruelty and with harshness. So Moses granted permission for divorce, which released women from what may have been hell on earth for them. And divorce also would mean, tend to make public what had been going on behind closed doors in private so the world would see the difficulties that too many women were bearing. Jesus was insisting that the loose sexual morality of his day must be mended. Those who sought marriage only for pleasure needed to be reminded that marriage was also for responsibility. Those who regarded marriage as simply a means of gratifying their physical desires had to be reminded that marriage is a spiritual unity. See, Jesus was building a rampart around the home to defend its strategic importance. So what does the Bible mean for us today? I'm sure that nobody goes into a marriage expecting that it will end in divorce. We all have high hopes and ideals for our marriages. We understand the commitment that marriage requires. We have faith that it will succeed. And we make great efforts to ensure that success. We accept that marriage relationship is physical, is spiritual and is social. We accept that the marriage relationship involves altruism, kindness, generosity and thoughtfulness from both people involved. But things happen. Circumstances may change. People may change. Many people make heroic efforts to help the marriage relationship to work and sometimes it doesn't. And divorce is the way in which the people involved can maintain their integrity, perhaps their safety, perhaps their sense of personal wholeness and veracity. Now I believe that those of us who are not divorced, whether we are married, single or widowed, those of us who are not divorced have no right at all to judge those who have found it necessary to divorce. We have not walked in their shoes. We do not know their experience. But all of us, no matter what our state in life, not only have a right 
but we have a responsibility to be growing into the likeness of Christ and to be helping one another to grow in that way too. For those of us who are married, we have the privilege and the joy of helping our spouse to grow. And we have the privilege and joy of receiving her or his help us to grow in the grace and the loveliness and the expression of Christ by our love and support and encouragement and affirmation. And we have the added bonus of our Christian friends here at church and the bonus of our fellowships and Bible study groups to help us to grow in that spiritual and personal way. And just as Jesus was the champion of the women of his time, freeing them from their untenable situation through a right understanding of what divorce meant for those women, so too Jesus is the companion and and source of strength for those who are divorced and for those who are widowed and for those who are single. It is through our Christian friends, wherever we meet them, that we are helped to grow in the grace and the loveliness and the expression of Christ by our friends' love and their support and their encouragement and their affirmation. And divorced, single and widowed people also have the added bonus of their Christian friends here at church and in their fellowship and Bible study groups to help in that spiritual and personal growth. Maybe out of today's thinking, we simply accept everyone for who they are and not stand in judgment at all. We simply appreciate everyone who helps us on our life's journey, especially those who help us to grow spiritually and in grace. And we commit ourselves afresh to all who love us, and all who care about us, and all who give us their support in so many ways, helping us to face each day in the power of God's love and live each day as well as we can. Amen.